Well, amen. I am glad that you're here. You know, I had a seminary professor tell me one time in class that, uh, and this guy used has spoken here years ago, Jesse Solomon and Ardeth and some of our older adults may remember Dr. Leon Marsh. Dr. Marsh taught at Southwestern Seminary, and, and one of the things that he would always do in his classes when he would come in, he'd have us start singing Victory in Jesus. Folks, we needed victory in that class because it was a tough class. Dr. Marsh was a tough man and a great preacher and uh, just loved him dearly. He had white hair and he combed it back and, and uh, just an incredible professor. Every class that I could take from him, I would take those, those classes. Well, one day he came in class and he said, guys, let me tell you one thing. There's two things that uh, people don't want to hear you talk about. They don't want to hear you preach about these two things. One of them is sin. People don't want to hear you talk about sin, those things that will hinder your relationship with God, those things that will rob you of the blessings that God has for you. Because sometimes we hold on to those sins in our life and we just think we can't give those things up. He went on to say that the second thing that people don't want to hear you preach about or teach about is money. And uh, Kyle, going on sabbatical, he left me with the topic, with one of those topics. So, <clears throat> don't get mad at me. You know, get, you can talk to God about it. Because what I'm going to share with you today is coming from God's Word. Dr. Marsh went on to say, but, you know, sin and money are two things that you must preach about and you must teach about if you want people to experience the joy and the freedom, the blessings, the abundant life, and the favor of God. You must preach on those things. Let me ask you a question. What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if we applied the biblical principles of living a holy and pure life? What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if we followed the biblical principles of stewardship? Well, we're going to look at some of those things today. You know, if you go to any bookstore, you will find shelf after shelf after shelf of books that deal with all of life issues from raising children and when Lynn and I, when our kids were little, uh, I think we bought every book that was on the shelf. You guys were awesome, let me tell you. I, God gave us some incredible children. But we were new parents, and man, we needed all the help we could get. You know, you can go to the bookstore, Mardell's or Barnes & Noble's or Lifeway or any bookstore here in town, and you'll find books that talk about marriage. You know, how to have a better marriage in, in 30 minutes. I thought, man, that's, and that thing would be about that thick, but... Uh, 
You know, you can find books that talk about if you're a single adult, how to find that right person. There's books on the bookshelves that talk about every issue that you can imagine. You know, we were in a bookstore this last week, and I was visiting with one of the employees there, and and they were telling me that they'll, uh, there's two books, there's two types of books that disappear off the bookshelves that people will put in their purse, they'll put in their jacket, they will, will steal these two books. One of them was the Bible. And I, I just can't imagine that. You know, talk about sin, stealing, my goodness. The other was talking about those, uh, and I know we have children in here uh, this morning, but those things that have to do with marriage and with intimacy. And uh, it said, they said that these are just two of the books that people either are too embarrassed to go up to the counter and purchase or are, the Bibles are, are so expensive. So, but, uh, you know, on the bookshelves, you will find all kinds of books. You'll find books about finances. If you want to know how to handle your finances, there's shelf after shelf that talk about finances. But you know, one of the best resources that we have is the Word of God. You know, if you're dealing with some issue of raising children or if you're having financial problems or if you're having problems in relationships where you work or, or maybe with your family, whatever it is, you can find the answers in God's Word. But folks, oftentimes God's Word is the least read. You know, we'll go to the bookstore and we will buy all kinds of books that deal with all issues and try to find help there. But if we would turn to God's Word, the author of life, he can tell us how we can live life. I want to share with you a couple of statements just to kind of set the tone for today's message, just uh, for you to think about. Did you know that if you tell a lie, if you spread a myth long enough and loud enough, and if you repeat that lie or that myth over and over and over, that oftentimes it'll become a truth, that people will believe it as a truth. Did you know that if you tell a lie, spread a myth, long enough and with enough repetition and you have money to to advertise that lie or that truth that society will begin to adopt that as the truth it doesn't make it the truth it's still a lie or a myth and just because enough people believe it doesn't make it the truth and just because enough people vote on something doesn't make it a truth. And we have seen that in the world in which we live. What really matters is what the Word of God says. And I want to challenge you today. 
You know, as we're talking about one of those heavy issues that Dr. Marsh uh, talked about, that people don't like to hear about, I want you to not go on what I have to say today, but go on what God's Word says. But you know, oftentimes, we live our lives by the standards and by the culture in which we live. And oftentimes, that the way the society lives, the way our culture is, is contrary to what the Word of God says. You know, the bottom line is this, that we need to know the truth of God's Word. If you're looking for answers about how to raise your children, if you want to know about how to handle your finances, if you want to know how to strengthen your marriage, and whatever issue is that you're facing today, turn to God's Word. For example, debt has been marketed to us so much, hadn't it? Debt has been marketed to us so much that we have fallen into the idea or to the lie or to the myth that we have to have certain things. We have to have certain type of clothes in order to, uh, to be uh, liked in our society. We have to have certain homes, and the list could go on. You know, when 52% of marriages today end in divorce because of money, we have a problem, don't we? You know, as, as I do marriage counseling, and I know John Shell here and others who, who uh, do counseling, oftentimes the number one topic, the number one problem in that marriage is over finances. Let me just illustrate what society says. When asked, how much is enough? What does society say? How much more do they want? We want more than we had yesterday. We want more than we have today. We want more, more, more. We want more gadgets. We want the more of the latest in technology. Whatever it is, we want more. There's a, a guy that I want to tell you about. He's, he's passed years ago, John D. Rockefeller. He was noted as one of the wealthiest men in the, in the world. And um, when he would go out and he would tip someone, he would tip them with a shiny new dime or dimes. That's what he would give. He would give out shiny new dimes. And uh, when asked, when someone asked him how much more money he wanted, he would often say, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Does that sound true of the world in which we live today? That we want just a little bit more. And when asked of his accountant, how much money did uh, Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? His accountant said, all of it. Every bit of it. 
You know, if you look in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and we'll take nothing out of it. Since this is true, we need to ask ourselves, how much is enough? You know, Jesus talked a lot about money. Jesus knew that, that, the, that money would be a big struggle, would be a big issue for people today. Issues like materialism, issues like greed and envy, control and comparison, comparing what I have with what someone else has. Jesus knew that that would be an issue. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says that, that uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If this is true, and I believe that it's true, it's because, because Jesus said it. In my Bible, it's in red. So if, if it says that in your Bible and, and you have the red-lettered edition, that is what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. The thing we need to ask ourselves is, where is our heart? Where is your heart this morning? Is it for the things of this world or is it for the things of God? It's been said that uh, you can look at a person's expenditures. They used to say you could look at the person's checkbook and you could tell what their priority was. Well, if you're like me, there's about four checks that, that Lynn and I write each month. One is for our mortgage, our car payment, uh, our tithe, and maybe one other check. But if you could look at a person's expenditures, you would know uh, where their heart is, where their priorities are. Dave Ramsey says that um, the average American is spending 127% of what they earn. The average American today, and that may not be you in this auditorium this morning. I hope it's not. But the average American is spending 127% of what they make. Now, let me, let me throw out this to you, just maybe to clarify that. We're spending $1.20 for every dollar that we earn. Is there a red flag in your mind? There's some of us in this room that that may be true uh, in our case. You know, oftentimes we get so frustrated with the government that we, you know, we get angry, we watch the TV, and, and our blood pressure goes up when it talks about how many trillions of dollars we're behind in, 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 uh, in our government, how much they're spending. Dave Ramsey says, folks, we really need to take an honest look at our own spending habits. And if we want to change the world in which we live, then it has to begin with us. I want to throw some figures out here to you. That, there are, that the average credit card balance is over $15,000. I hope that's not you. 
You think about how much interest you're paying on that $15,000. How long is it going to take you to pay off that credit card? It goes on to say that the average student loan goes from anywhere from $29,000 to $37,000. And I know I graduated from high school a long time ago, but my mom and dad, they knew the importance of us working hard and, and uh, paying as we go. My dad bought us an old hay truck years ago, and me and my brother, we started hauling hay to pay for our way to go to college. But, uh, and that may not be your case today. It is so expensive to go to college and to get that education. Went on to say that the average auto loan is over $30,000. That's close to what our first home cost, Lynn, when we graduated from seminary a long time ago. And it goes on to say that 57% of the households do not have a budget. If you read uh, articles from financial guys, they will say if you don't decide where your money goes, your money will decide for you. So I want to encourage you to develop a budget over the next four weeks, and please come. You know, please come because we're going to be sharing what the Word of God says. It's not some principles that, that I have come up with or that Kyle has come up with. You come because we're going to share from God's Word uh, how we can live on the 90. We'll learn what the Bible says about, uh, about finances, about living on uh, the 90. And you may be here and you might say, well, Dale, that really doesn't apply to me. We're doing great. Folks, let me tell you, you have neighbors that are struggling you have family members that are struggling. Next week, we're going to have a guy here, and uh, we're going to do a little dialogue just for a, uh, five or ten minutes on the stage, he and I, about uh, uh, getting our house in order. And then following the worship service, we're going to go to the auditorium or to the fellowship hall, and we'll have lunch there, and he will go into more detail about getting your house in order. Our house was not in order when my dad fell and broke his hip. There were questions that me and my brother should have asked years ago to help when that time came in my dad's life when he couldn't make decisions on his own. And we had to make those tough decisions. You need to be here. It's, it's for all age groups. So young adults, you please come. My kids have already said, man, mom and dad, we know what we're going to do when, when that time comes in y'all's life. And some of you need to have mercy on us. So, so we're going to our mercy on them because we're going to move in with them and they're going to take care of us. They just don't know that yet. They do now. I want us to look at the first principle from God's Word about living on the ninety. The first principle is this, that we need to get control. Uh, Dave Ramsey and other guys say that, that uh, it's as simple as living on less than you make. 
Man, is that rocket science? How many of y'all have ever heard that before? That we need to live on less than we make. But if the average American household is, is spending 127% of what they bring in, then there's a problem. We have to live a life that is content, that is not just content, but that is satisfied. And oftentimes money can cloud that satisfaction. You know, how often are we not satisfied with the things that we have and we want more and more and more? As I was preparing the message for today, God just reminded me of how he has blessed Lynn and I. You know, we are blessed. By the world's standards, we may not have a large 401k. And uh, when I was talking to Lynn about this, uh, you know, we, we have not done the best in preparing for the later years. Um, Guidestone has told us that if I retire at age 68, that the money will run out by the time we're 85. So hopefully our life will run out before that time. But, you know, we're working on that. And, you know, we may not have the large pension plan, and we don't have. I mean, this is it. What we put into retirement, what you put into to our retirement through the budget, that's it, folks. But you know what? We have God's promises. And I'm so thankful for that. You know, when this economy tanks like it did in 2008, and many of, of us lost a lot of money or money during that time, we have God's promises that he's going to take care of us. And God is true and faithful to his promises. We have a blessed life. I was reading a book some time ago that uh, talked about the favor of God. The writer of the book says this, that being blessed means having the supernatural power working for you. I noticed in the student suite uh, the other day, there was a question about uh, what kind of supernatural power would you like? I want the supernatural power of God working in my life. And uh, just as a side note, if you take your Bible and you do a word study in the Old Testament and you look up the word blessings in the Old Testament, it has three different meanings. One is it talks about the, the provisions of God. The second thing, it talks about the protection of God. And the last thing, it talks about the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I want God's provision because God wants the very best for his children. I want God's protection. There's a passage in Malachi that says if we are faithful to the Lord, then he will rebuke the devourer. The devil wants to destroy your life. And you know, not only do I want his provisions and I want his protection, I want his presence in my life. When we're going through those difficult times, I want his 
presence. I want it when we're on the mountaintop, but also when we're in the valley. This guy goes on to say that uh, being a blessed man may or may not be wealthy compared to the world standards, but he enjoys the quality of life that most billionaires enjoy. Folks, if I've got God's provision, if I've got his protection, and if I've got his presence, then what else does a person need? Amen? Amen. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. God truly wants to bless your life, and he wants to bless my life. I want to give you four passages of Scripture that uh, we're not going to look at them, but I want you to write them down and see what these passages of Scripture uh, says, and, uh, because I believe they're true. God tells us that uh, for those who obey him, that he will bless everything that you put your hand to. Don't you want that? Man, I want God to bless everything that, that I put my hands to, whatever it might be, whether it's raising children or raising grandchildren. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 20. And then Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 8 through 12. Did you know that there are over 500 verses in God's Word that talks about prayer and about faith? But there are over 2,000 verses in God's Word that talks about money, that talk about stewardship, Going back to what I said a while ago, Jesus knew that we would struggle with money and that we would struggle with our finances and that we would struggle with those things that he's given to us. Out of the 38 parables that Jesus preached and taught on, 16 of them deal with money or deal with stewardship. And if you go to, the, to Proverbs you can look at the Proverbs, and in every chapter in Proverbs, it will talk about uh, the issue of stewardship. Begin reading, reading those. And if there's not one, you come up and tell me, and then we'll look at that passage of Scripture. How we handle money reveals much about our priorities. And let me stop at this point and just say, Guys, I, I am preaching to myself. About three weeks ago, Lynn, it was on a Saturday, Lynn went running around with the kids, and I was going to stay home and just, uh, you know, do some studying, looking at uh, some passages of scriptures for today from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I became convicted and it was like God was saying, Dale, have you been faithful with the things that I have given to you? 
with the talents, with the resources, with the abilities, and with everything that I have given to you. Have you been faithful? You know, there have been those times in our lives, just like you guys, that we have struggled. When our kids were little, and it seemed like they were in the doctor's office all the time, and uh, or when they were driving and it seemed like the vehicles, you know, would break down. There, there's times that it seemed like there was more weak than there was money. You, you've been there, hadn't you? And, uh, you know, I, I just became convicted because God has promised that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Della has a, a scripture on her wall in her office. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. It says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. But you know, I think that a lot of times that we as Christians reword that, we rewrite that and, and say that we walk by, by sight and not by faith. You know, have you ever caught yourself in that situation? But we walk by faith and not by sight. One commentary makes this statement. Before we see the blessings of God, before we see His, His provisions, before we see His protection, before we see His presence in a mighty way, we give in faith. But oftentimes we see... Uh, we say, God, I will give, I will serve, I will teach those preschoolers, I will, and you can fill in whatever you want to, I will use those resources, I will be a generous giver if I see you do this, God. Let me challenge you to do a study on the first fruits. And if you're a Bible study teacher here this morning, a great study is to look at what the Bible says about first fruits. Not only did the early church give of, of their first fruits, uh, the things that they had, but they gave of their time. They worshiped the Lord on the first of the week to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. You know, over my 30 years of ministry, and that, man, Grant, that seems crazy because I was going to ask you if you knew Dr. Leon Marsh, and, and then I started thinking, man, he was just a baby. I don't even know if he was born then. And that made me feel really bad going home last night. Made me feel really old. But over the 30 years of, of ministry, you know, I have heard people say, well, Dale, those are Old Testament teachings. We live in the period of grace. You know, tithing was written uh, before the law. You look it up in the Bible, you see the first instance of, of giving in the, in the Old Testament. You know, that may be true. We may live under grace, but many of those same principles apply to us today. For example, the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? Doesn't it? Isn't that what your Bible says? That's what mine says. But what does the Bible say now that we live under grace? If you look upon a woman 
and then I'll let you finish the rest of it because of children being here this morning. Yeah. Under the law, it was forbidden to commit murder and to steal. But under grace, what does it say? That we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, And that if we see a need that we're supposed to, to help meet that need. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I am the Lord and I do not change. And if you're a New Testament person, if you want something out of the New Testament, try Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I believe that without exception, every believer who gives of their time and their talents and their abilities, their resources, the money that they, they give. I believe that every one of those will say, I am blessed. God has blessed me. God has blessed Lynn and I. Imagine what the people of God could do for the kingdom of God if we lived on the 90. I want to share two uh, principles right quick. Man, we are going to run out of time, but that's okay. Some of them said just keep going, and uh, Scott Foyle said if he comes back with a hamburger, you know, it's okay. But I'm not going to go that much longer. <clears throat> the first truth that I want to share with you from God's Word is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign in everything, and everyone belongs to Him. He owns everything, and His ownership gives Him the right to control our lives. <coughs> Excuse me. If we allow Him to take control and we trust in Him, God has promised that that he would supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Write this verse down, Jeremiah chapter 29, 11. Many of you have memorized this verse. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God wants the best for you. I'm a child of the King, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're a child of the King, the Lord of lords. There's no one else higher. God is sovereign, and He really wants the best. The question that we need to ask ourselves, do we really believe that God is sovereign? And do we really believe that He owns everything? Let me just give you a couple of passages of Scripture. Write them down. Go back and look at them. Psalms chapter 24, verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That means everything belongs to the Lord. You belong to the Lord. He created you. 
Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14 says, The Lord your God, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. And then a beautiful passage of scripture. <coughs> Excuse me. A beautiful passage of scripture is, is sec, uh, First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 through 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. God owns my home. I don't own it. God owns my home. God has blessed us with our home. God owns our cars, and uh, they're not mine. They're his, and we drive what he's given to us. My children belong to God. My grandchildren belong to God. And God has given me the right to spoil my grandkids the way I want to. Did I hear an amen back in that back section back there with my kids? God, I may be stretching it just a little bit. Lynn, I didn't hear you say amen. Could I have an amen from the grandparents? We have the right to spoil our grandkids, don't we? Yeah, I love it. You know, God even owns the squirrels. And I'm not sure why God made the squirrels but he owns them. Even though they eat the cushions off of our lawn furniture out in the backyard. It's just amazing to go out in the backyard and to see, you know, I thought it might be snowing, but there's cotton all over the backyard. And it hadn't been snowing when it's 90 degrees. The squirrels have eaten our cushions. And you know, God even owns my checkbook. God owns my bank account. Sometimes, though, we have our fist closed on certain things, don't we? Does God really have control? You know, I can't find one scripture in God's Word where He has surrendered His ownership to me. You know, He has entrusted me to take care of those things. And if you think, well, I belong to myself, no, you don't. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And you think about that price that God bought you. It was a great sacrifice. He sacrificed his own son for us. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is of God. The second truth is this. Not only is God sovereign and he owns everything, everything we have comes from him. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is, God, what do you want me to do? with the things that you have given to me. God, what would you have me to do 
to bring glory and honor to your holy name. God, how would you want me to use those gifts and those talents and those abilities and the money that you have given to me to bring glory and honor to your holy name? You know, as a believer in Christ, our primary goal is to be faithful in all things that God has given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says, It is expected of managers and stewards that we be found faithful. In closing, and this might be a crazy way to close it, Forrest Gump, everyone has probably seen that movie, he might have put it this way, I'm not a smart man, but I'm going to tithe, I'm going to use those gifts and those talents, those abilities, the resources that God has given to me, and that's all I have to say about that. I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord in those tough times, you know, those times that, uh, that all of us struggle with. You know, when we might doubt, when we might wonder, God, are you really true to your promises? Did you really promise that you would take care of us no matter what? God is faithful to his promises. As Grant comes and the praise team, we're going to close the service, but, you know, I want to have have all of you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a few moments. We are just about through. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I cannot convict you. I can't convince you to live a holy and pure life. I can't convict you or convince you to give up those sins that you're holding on to. Those things that you say feel good. God, I don't want to give those things up. I can't convict you or convince you to give those things up. You know, I cannot convince you or convict you to to give generously to the Lord. I can't convict you or convince you to use those gifts and those talents and those abilities that God has given to you to serve others. I just can't do that. But let me tell you, the Word of God can. And through the Holy Spirit, He can bring conviction upon your heart And through His Word, as you study what His Word says about serving Him and about being a generous giver, being faithful in all things, the Holy Spirit, through His Word, can bring conviction. I want to ask you a question that Jesus asked me those three weeks ago. Have you been faithful with your time, using your talents and your abilities, giving generously of what God has given to you.
what would you say? On that Saturday morning in our living room, I didn't have to answer that question. You don't have to answer that question this morning. You really don't. Because God is sovereign. He knows. We can't hide those things from God. We can't say, well, God, yeah, I am faithful in all things. God knows our hearts. And this morning, I'm asking that each of us would just search our hearts. And, and if Jesus asked you at this very moment, have you been faithful? What would you say? You know, I had to repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been faithful in using those gifts and those talents that you have given to me. But from this moment on, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart. Everything that is within me, I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to be faithful in all things with my service, with my time, with my giving, everything that you have given to me, God, I'm going to be faithful. And you know, that's my prayer for you this morning, is that you would be faithful. Father, I just come before you, Lord. Father, thank you for convicting me, Lord, that uh, you are faithful, that you're sovereign, that everything belongs to you. God, forgive me for those times that I have held on to those things that you have given to me. And God, I give those things to you, and I ask that however I use those gifts and talents, the resources, the money that you've given to me, God, I pray that I would use it to bring glory and honor to your holy name. You know, you may be here this morning, and maybe the Lord has, has shown you some things about your own life. I'm preaching to myself. Man, let me tell you, this was a tough message for, for this guy because God showed me some things in my own life that I need to be faithful to Him, you know, that I need to work hard. I need to, to uh, be that faithful witness. But maybe God has shown you something this morning. You don't have to come to the altar. God knows your heart. He knows what's going through your mind right now. You don't have to come to the altar this morning and confess that to the Lord right there in the pew. Today, you can do that. You can repent. You can turn from those things and say, God, with your help, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to trust you with everything that's within me. I'm going to trust you, Lord. With my time, I'm going to volunteer more. I'm going to give generously. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm going to do it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're looking for a church home. We would love to have you come and worship here with us and serve the Lord here. God's doing a new work here. 
God is blessing the church, and I can't wait till Kyle comes home and uh, shares what God has laid on his heart, how to lead our church. And uh, it's going to be some exciting days. Maybe you just want to come and join this morning. Maybe you have never invited Jesus Christ into your life. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you come this morning.